Hello there, everyone. Welcome back to Running the 615 Podcast. This is your host, Drew Jones. You are listening to episode 18. Our guest today is Dave Milner, who is a running coach and the race director of the Music City Distance Carnival here in Nashville. Dave was born and raised overseas in England, and he found running at an early age. Running eventually brought Dave over here to the United States, where he ran in college at Belmont University here in Nashville, and then at a small college in upstate New York. Dave has given over 30 years to the sport of running, and he has a lot of insight on multiple running topics. In this episode, we talk a little bit about everything. We talk about running do's and don'ts. We talk about some of Dave's coaching philosophies. We talk about the Music City Distance Carnival and what Dave has created there. We talk about Nashville. We talk about music. And we even discuss fancy concepts like point of diminishing returns and delayed gratification. Dave is a very interesting guy. He has been very involved in the Nashville running community for a long time. His Music City Distance Carnival race is scheduled to happen on August 15th, and it could very well end up being one of the few races that actually happens here in Nashville for the rest of 2020. It's a super cool track meet that Dave has built up over the years, and I really enjoyed sitting down and talking to him about it and how it all got started. Thanks as always, everyone, for listening to Running the 615. Please mention this podcast to a friend. And always remember that every run, no matter how far, no matter how fast, and no matter where it takes place, is always a good run. Here we go. Episode 18, the runner from Leeds, England, Dave Milner. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Running the 615. I'm sitting across from Dave Milner. I've talked to Dave several times about getting this interview lined up, and we are finally able to make it happen today. Dave, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, I'm excited. Me too, man. A lot of running topics to cover. Uh, you Running has been a huge part of your life, and we're going to take this in a lot of different directions. But I want to start off with just running and how it became a part of your life. Uh, you were born on the other side of the pond, as they say. Uh, tell me about your, your first memory of running and, and when it entered your life. All right. So I grew up in, in England. Um, I was born in Leeds, which is about uh, three hours north of London. Uh, about town, town about the size of Nashville, I suppose. And uh, I think probably the first time that running piqued my interest, I vividly remember watching the 1980 Moscow Olympics. And at that time, um, Britain was fortunate to have two of the best runners on the planet, Sebastian Coe and Steve Ovet, who basically traded the world record for a mile and 1,500 meters, like on, almost on a weekly basis. And those guys were like household names. Um, and they each won, they actually won each other's event, the 800 and 1,500 at the Moscow Olympics. And I vividly remember watching those races on a little black and white TV screen. I think we had a color TV, but you were little I watched enough. it on black and white. I was nine years old, yeah. Right. And that sort of like sparked some interest. And I think at the time, you know, I vaguely recall, you know, I would, my dad smoked at the time and I would run to the corner shop to buy him cigarettes. That was just what it was like back then, you know. Yeah. And it was about three quarters of a mile each way. And I would run as fast as I could, you know, convinced that my dad was timing me. He probably just made up a time and I didn't know any differently. But I would run there hard, get the cigarettes and try and get back as quickly as I could, thinking that, you know, like the clock was running. Right. And I just kind of found that effortless. And uh, it was just like a nice feeling of just moving from moving through space quickly, even if it was on a mission to get my dad's cigarettes and yeah. then 
I didn't start running in a more formal fashion until I was 11 years old. So I played soccer growing up, as, as every kid does over there. Um, and I was you know, pretty good at it, not great, but I was little right. for my age. And then um, we had a, a boy that was a year older than me um, in my elementary school, and he was already like pretty into running. And he suggested I come to the local athletic club, which was what it was called then, like a track club. And I went, and it was, it was kind of cool. Like, you know, uh, athletic clubs over there have people of all ages. They're not just like youth track clubs. Right. So there were, you know, I was running with grownups, and it sort of, I don't know, it just... Was instantly cool to be Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just working out with, like, adults kind of felt cool. And um, instantly I realized that it was a sport where what you put into it, you got out, where that right. wasn't true of soccer. I, f- yeah. I played on the wing. And I was constantly setting up goals for my friends. Right. Who were always like the center of attention because they were scoring and I never seemed to score. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there wasn't really a sort of correlation between hard work and rewards in soccer like there appeared to be in running. So I think that's what really sort of piqued my interest. And I, but I continued to do both. Gotcha. You, you were a soccer player and a runner all the way through what, through high school? Until about the age of 15, maybe, maybe 16. I was a late bloomer. I'd, I honestly, I'd, I don't think I'd even started puberty when I was 14, 15. I was little. And yeah. my, my nickname on my soccer team was Mini. Right. Because I was like just small and nimble, but pretty fast. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think probably when I was 16, I was still 5'7", maybe 120 pounds. Gotcha. What was then the kind of timeline from getting more into running to eventually you coming over to seas and, and running in college over here in the States? Um. I think what what really sort of not forced me, but like really urged me to to focus on one sport was the fact that everybody else seemed to be um, growing into men. <laughs> I was just getting left in the bun. All of a sudden, I was people you know, were becoming men, and you were staying yeah, mini. I was giving away you know five inches and 30, 40 pounds to, to other guys in tackles, and I found myself backing out of tackles on the soccer field, um, and and that was when I realized like I'm at a huge disadvantage here that I wasn't at. If I if I ran, where right. it was almost an, an an advantage being a little bit smaller and lighter. Um, so I, you know, so I focused on on running when I was about sixteen, and you know, I was pretty good at like the sort of county and local level, and you know, I won some races, and you could the progression was easy to chart, and I got better year after year. Um, but then I didn't go to university right afterwards. So I I graduated high school, um, and when I was eighteen, and then. I was, my parents got, had got divorced a couple of years earlier and, uh, I don't know. I just, I didn't really have anybody sort of making me, um, focused or accountable for schoolwork. Um, so I just kind of stopped doing it after a while and I, and I thought I could just get by on being smart and I couldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got terrible grades in high school and, and couldn't really get into university over there. It's a little bit harder to get into university there than it is in the u.s um so running was your ticket almost to come to come over here and get that going a little bit yeah so i i I worked i went to work at a running store and by the time i was 19 i was managing a store wow um and then when i was 20 21 i was managing a store in central london right um and then you know after a while i'd sort of reached the ceiling in that company i wasn't going to go any further much and um some other stuff happened and I think I just needed a change of a change of scenery. I was 23, 24 years old, living in central London, partying my ass off. I was right. running 60 miles a week, but going clubbing every weekend. 
and I could just see myself running was always my rudder that stopped me from doing anything too stupid. Right. Um, but you know, I was experimenting with some drugs at that time and partying really hard, but still running 60 miles a week. Right. Like I wasn't willing to give up that on opposite sides. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I had some friends that were sort of <laughs> not bad influences, but like, you know, They'll be like, come on, Dave. You Encouragers. Know? Yeah, and I was never very good at saying no. And I, and I realized that, that, that if I didn't make a change soon, some, I was going to go down the wrong path. So running was kind of my ticket out of there. And, and uh, yeah, so I started, I, when I was 19 years old, I had ex- traveled around the States when I was, yeah, for like five months. And I'd sort of fallen in love with the country. All right, yeah. And I uh, just kind of grown, grown old of living in London and needed a change of scenery. So I ended up... It's kind of a long story, but I ended up at, uh, in Nashville at Belmont University. I'd made some friends um, with a family that I'd stayed with five years previously. Right. Who at the time had were running Nashville Striders. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. We stayed in touch, and they kind of made it economically viable for me to go to Belmont. I actually lived with them my freshman year out in Westmead. Yeah. Um, so what is it about running just in, in the sport itself that you feel like is the part that you kind of initially loved about it and then you know has kept you involved in what you said almost 38 years now of of being involved in the sport of running yeah Yeah. um i think initially like what i alluded to earlier is just the work ethic i liked like you know you you got out of it what you put into it and it was Mm -hmm. almost you know pretty perfect correlation right barring injuries but then over time as i've gotten older my my reasons for continuing to run have certainly changed like i i still compete or try to compete when time or injuries allow but now running has become more a form of therapy right it's become cathartic and something almost like an emotional rudder yeah like without it i feel a bit lost Mm -hmm. whereas before i did it because i was you know decent at it and it was fun and it was a sort of form of self-esteem i guess yeah but now those reasons have gradually evolved awesome yeah i mean i want i want to get to that for sure uh just on the topic of running i mean you know probably in your earlier stages what's what's you know maybe the favorite race or races you you've run in when you were you know quote unquote at at your uh highest (laughs) level of competition uh i don't know i I really felt like i never even came close to fulfilling my potential in my 20s um in college i I had what you might call the the complete college experience. I wasn't willing to give up any one component. So I, I partied hard for five years. Right. Um, so I'm not really proud of any of my accomplishments in, in college. When I was, when I, as I got older and took it a little more seriously, um, when I was coaching at Belmont in my late thirties and into my forties, probably the most fun race I've ever done. And I was proud of this too. Is right after I turned 40, they have a master's mile in this professional meet called the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix meet. Right. And I had just turned 40 the previous month and I was pretty injured. Like, I mean, I was in great shape, but I was running on one leg. My Achilles was about to snap. Yeah. Um, but I ran in the master's mile there and I ran, I think, 437 when I was 40. Wow. Which was pretty good considering how banged up I was. Like, yeah. I couldn't even do strides warming up. I took like four Advil before the race. Good night. But where, that, that where, event was where, unique. Where is that? This was in, in Boston. Boston, The Reggie right. Lewis Center. This yeah. was 2011. But the thing that was unique about that race is that I was on immediately before the pros. So I I remember trying to do strides. I was so banged up I could barely do them. But alongside Mo Farah and Galen Rupp, oh, wow. who were going to go like two events later in the 3,000 meters. That's cool. Yeah. And we were all in this like tiny little sports hall adjacent to the track at Reggie Lewis. And it's this pretty confined space. And, these, and a lot of the other athletes were in there I knew from, you know, some of them had run Music City Distance Carnival, which we'll talk about later. For sure. So they yeah. were like, 
that's not Dave's like the meat director. Like what the heck is he doing? Here? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Though. Would, but, so would you label that, you know, I guess not only one of your favorites, but maybe a highlight of your running career, being able to run that fast still at, at on the master's level. Yeah. I was pretty proud of that. And then, but one of the coolest experiences about that was just interacting with the pro athletes at that meet. And then, I think there were 16 guys in that master's mile. It was a pretty congested field and around most of the racing lane too. But of those 16, I think 10 of us all went out for beers afterwards. Oh, yeah. And the the camera, instant camaraderie among master's athletes right. wasn't really like anything I'd witnessed from from outside from an outsider at the professional level. It was pretty it was cool. cool. And these yeah. guys were just super friendly. A lot of them were like All-Americans in yeah. college. And I just felt like some hack yeah. who just maybe not outran them but outlasted. Well, that I mean, Mark Miller talked about that, uh, uh, you know, a, a guy, you know, well, also he talked about one of the cool things about running is, you know, you can be running neck and neck with a guy hard, like really wanting to beat them. And then, you know, 20 seconds later, you're giving them a high five. And then an hour later, you're, you're having beers. I mean, that's a, that's a cool component to the yeah. sport that you've got to experience with really good runners. So that's cool. Um, running obviously has been a big part of your life. Uh, you've gone from a runner to where now you're a running coach and really kind of a facilitator of running. You, you, you set up running for a lot of people. Is there anything that you can remember that kind of took you down that path of wanting to go the way of coaching and kind of facilitating and being a, you know, kind of an ambassador for running yeah. of running for other people? I think things changed for me. So I went to Belmont from 95 to 98. And when I was at Belmont, it was very different from, from what it's like now. It was far less diverse. It was a very sort of homogenous student population. It was still very Christian. I never really felt like I'd fitted. You know, I'd, I was a 24-year-old freshman that had moved from central London. Right. And I ended up transferring out and having a polar opposite experience at a jock school in upstate New York, the Division Three school. Right. But there, the coach was uh, Jack Daniels. Oh, man. And that wasn't something that was planned. That was just... I went there because of a girl. Yeah. It was, it was the nearest college that had my degree. Mm -hmm. And I called up the track office and I was like, hello, Jack Daniels. I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. This is, like, like this is meant to happen. I, knew, I was a big enough track nerd even then. Right. I yeah. knew who he was. Yeah. So I think when I got to Cortland, I ended up hanging, a lot, hanging out a lot with Jack. I was like, I was like a sponge. Just, it was kind of like hanging out with Yoda. Yeah. And you just want to soak up all this knowledge. I would skip classes to go coffee with him. Yeah. And, you know, like... Back then, pro athletes he was coaching would mail in their training journals. So I would like, I could go to my algebra class and I'm about to flunk. Or I could go hang out with Jack, drink coffee, and read Todd Williams' training logs. Oh, man. Which yeah. I would do. And then, but even I remember at that time, I felt like I was more invested in my roommates. I lived with four other guys on a track team. And I was more excited about their running because they were better than me than I was about my own. Right. And I think it wasn't like a light switch went off. It was like I was gradually applying more and more pressure to the switch. Gotcha. That maybe I'd be a better coach than I would be a runner. Mm -hmm. And then when Jack actually said that one day, that was it. Yeah. And, uh, he basically kind of cemented it in, in your brain. Well, that's a good mentor. It wasn't to like, have. hey, you suck. You should coach instead. <laughs> he didn't word it quite like that. <laughs> he even pitched that it the in the right way. Like, that I was, think you'd be great at this. That was the implication, I think. And then, <laughs> so, like, you know, fast forward a couple of years. So I, I graduated in 2000 from well, it's called SUNY, the State University of New York in Cortland. Right. And then I Up got. Upstate New York. Yeah, right, yeah, near Syracuse. And then um, I got a job out in Seattle. Um, 
sort of working behind the scenes at a chain of three running stores. Imagine it was called Fast Lady Sports. Gotcha. Imagine Fleet Feet, but just for women. Mm-hmm. And um, so you had three stores in the Seattle area. And um, my boss one day is like, oh, we've acquired the Seattle Marathon official training program. I was like, oh, cool. Because I want you to be the coach. I was like, oh, well, I've never ran a marathon and I've never coached. Right. And he was like, well, you're a smart guy. You'll figure it out. There you go. So the first thing I did was, was A, sign up for a marathon so I wouldn't feel like a fraud. Right. And then I signed up for like a USA track and field, like level one coaching class. Mm-hmm. And, so and then it started. Yeah. And that's kind of like the, the bull started rolling from there and I've been doing it ever since. That's cool, man. That's, I mean, you had some people in, in your life that kind of guide you that way. But I mean, if you just think about your interest growing up, it was, they all kind of came together with, you know, an interest in the sport on your own end, but then some people who kind of influenced you on the coaching end too, yeah. which you've been able to do. Um, so as a, as a running coach, I mean, I, I want to you know talk about this because you and I've actually talked about this before, just casually uh, tell me your thoughts on the mental side of running. Everybody knows that running is physical and that it involves endurance and pushing yourself, but what's your thoughts on the mental side of running and in, in, in regards to how do you actually coach that? And then on the other side of mental, what do you feel are ultimately the benefits for your own mental health? because of the sport of running like what does running benefit as your as your health so how do you coach the mental health side with some of the people you've coached to what do you feel like ultimately the the mental health benefits are for runners in general and yourself because i know you already mentioned that that's been a part of it for you that's a lot to unpack there i mean i guess when the coaching clients i have the ones that i have a really good relationship with Mm -hmm. um i i do my best to explain at the front end, like the purpose of each workout. Right. So that eventually we get to the point where the athletes are confident enough to sort of give me feedback on what they think is working well for them. So it's not just like a one-way dialogue of me like, hey, you need to do this, 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 and this. Right. They feel comfortable enough. It's a partnership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a two-way dialogue. Um, so I think that's important to develop. And it, that, you know, that can take some time, especially with, with younger um you know, younger athletes or newer clients. Um, the problem with runners is that for the most part, they're highly intrinsically motivated. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a, this like bell curve you, and you get, you know, people that aren't motivated enough. And at the other end of the spectrum, you got to use almost a point of diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of my time holding people back, like reining them in, stopping yeah. themselves from running themselves into the ground. Sure. Um, but I feel, well, there's a mental side to that. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, that's, that's part of it to be able to people to know. It's so multifaceted. To I, people to understand the concept of just because you can run faster doesn't mean you always should, especially right. for different workouts. I like to think that the, the people I coach would feel comfortable talking to me about anything and mm-hmm. not just running. Yeah. Um, so I don't have many coaching clients. I mean, I probably any given time I have like 10 or 12. Yeah. Um, I don't usually take people on unless they're going to buy into the program or they're going to be a good fit with the other coaching clients and be a good teammate or, or unless I think they're really going to sort of buy in and open up. Gotcha. Um, on all things, not just the running, not just the race, but you know, their motivation behind it, who they are as people to get like a picture of it. And you know, and likewise, once you develop that relationship, I've had coaching clients that have had my back for the last three or four years. Right. Yeah. And when I've been struggling too. So it's, you almost develop a little bit of a family and you don't want somebody in that family who's going to sort of 
upset the vibe yeah or you know be toxic so what about the mental part of running for you just in in the benefits like you talked about running being kind of a rudder in your life which i I completely agree with i've never had any success with running other than i've just really enjoyed doing it and enjoyed being a part of the running industry and most all of my friends are runners. It's I'm just in that world a lot like you are, which I'm super thankful for. I mean, I genuinely enjoy it, but you know, the biggest gains I get from running are just like what it does for me kind of emotionally and how I feel when I'm done running is, is, you know, that's very generic, but that is a big part of it for me. Yeah. And that has been the case for me up until recently, but, uh, I don't know, just a Oh, certainly over the last six months, I don't know if this is like COVID related or just stress related, but lately I've been at the point where I've been struggling just to get out of the door. Yeah. And it's like, you know, just a sort of perfect storm of you know, virus, the stress, the stress of parenting and it's gotten harder. Stress of this meat and stuff. But like, you know, running hasn't been fun for me lately, but it's been something that I continue to do, try and get out of the door each day because it's the only time I get any kind of clarity. Right. Um, and that aspect hasn't really changed, but I know that if I always, no matter how crappy I run I have, I'm always going to feel at least slightly better afterwards. For sure. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people erode that joy by constantly comparing themselves to others. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great segue. That's, that's where I was going next. What do you have some thoughts on social media and its involvement with running both I mean, there's a couple different sides of social media. There's the Instagram post of someone going for a run and feeling good about it and posting a picture. And then there's the Strava component where Strava can, you know, for some people be like a true kind of competition every day. They know people and they see them doing this mileage at this pace or running on this particular path. I'm, I've always known that I'm not terribly gifted in running, so I've never been pulled towards that. I, I'm on Strava, but it's just to you know let let my friends and coworkers know that I'm out there with them. But I don't pull, I don't feel that pull. But I know some people do. They, you know, maybe run harder or run more because they see some random person on Strava did it the day before. Yeah, honestly, I wish somebody had never started Instagram because yeah. it's. I mean, I understand that you know people need it to you know some people need it for for their work or to improve their brand but like i feel like you don't see the holes in people's story in instagram you only see the it's a highlight reel right oh, for sure and you don't see people you know papering over the cracks mm-hmm. uh, on a constant basis um so i think you know instagram you know instagram is, is one potential problem um strava i feel like is is a sort of like knife edge like it's it's great for getting you out of the door. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, if I don't run today, everybody on Strava is going to like, see I didn't go for a run today. But I think I think Strava is messing up so many people's running. That is making them do more than they should? Or making them run faster than, than they should. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the questions we had talked about earlier was, you know, what one of the biggest mistakes you see people see, right. people make. Biggest mistakes running. in running, right, right, yeah. And most people just run way too fast on their easy runs. Yeah. And we can come back and talk about that more, but... Strava just almost like fosters that for sure speeding, right? Yeah. And you're constantly comparing yourself to others. And I think that, you know, the problem with Strava is, you know, you're comparing yourself to people that have a totally different set of circumstances mm-hmm. or, you know, you're, you know, you shouldn't be comparing your middle, your, your beginning to somebody else's middle of right. their story. For sure. Um, That's a great way to put it. Yeah. I'd, so st- stay on that path. Then what, like, 
from someone who has been a runner a long time, coached, you know, all different kinds of runners. What's, what's a couple of things that you see that are just like trends of, you know, kind of bad decisions as runners or, or training that, that people make that you are real quick to notice and be like, you know, that's, there's a better way to do that or not doing that is in your best interest. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't really follow like what other, what a lot of other people do like on their training. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's more when I've like meet a new coaching client or potential new coaching client, we'll look at their training. The, the, the two biggest mistakes I usually see, um, are a people doing their easy runs too fast all the time. Right. So they, you you, you'll see this if you go to do an East nasty run, right? Mm -hmm. You'll see people who might race a 5k at seven minute pace and they're doing their Wednesday night run at like. 7.15 pace. Too I fast. don't know if that's typical, if that's what they do every day. But like some of these coaching clients I get and they're, and, um, you know, they're doing all their runs maybe 30 seconds slower than they might run a 5K. Which is too fast. Yeah. Well, if you, you know, you, if you were to look at the log of like a professional runner, mm -hmm. they're running, you know, two minutes slower or two and a half minutes slower sometimes. I right. mean, their runs are, easy runs are really easy. And then the other thing I notice is that people will, um, maybe run seven minute pace for all their runs and then expect to be able to run under three hours for a marathon. Um, well, just cause you pin on a race number, it doesn't mean you should be able to all of a sudden do, it sudden do something yeah. in a race that you haven't done in practice. Right. So, so one of the biggest mistakes I see people doing is, is not running their goal pace on tired legs. Gotcha. Um, cause that's what distance running is. Right. Right. It's, yeah. it's one thing to be able to run, you know, you know, seven minute pace for, for an 18 miler, but you know, you're not really simulating doing, doing it at the end of, you know, when the race starts at yeah. 20 miles. And again, that's when it, that's man, I remember I've only run, uh, four marathons total, but the, the, when I was training for my first, that's what you hear people say a lot. The race starts at mile 20 and I, by no means was racing. I was running in it, yeah. but like it just something, something about that distance and that kind of area mile markers when, your body starts having a real problem with it and you still have, you know, another potential six miles to go right. when it's really so most hard. Of, most of my coaching clients will alternate their long runs between just doing a long, easy run. And then usually every other week or every third week is uh, what we call fast finish long runs where right. they might do, maybe it's a 16, 17 mile run. And then the last eight or nine are at their goal pace. Gotcha. So they're doing it on trash legs so you're simulating not. how you feel at the end of a race oh it's good without yeah. doing the whole distance but i think the the third big mistake i see people making is um running their speed work way too fast almost like a mile of my train right um so this is sort of like lack of specificity it's like all right you're, you're doing these quarters in 75 when are you ever going to race that fast where yeah. it, it might have made more sense to, to do more quarters with less recovery in 90 Mm -hmm. closer to what you might run in a 5k or whatever gotcha so those are the three areas i see people yeah. making mistakes but. so that i mean that this is kind of along those lines but do you i mean you know if someone is getting involved in running or wants to become a better runner what's what's the best piece of advice you could give someone to be a better runner i mean that you kind of hinted on some of the negatives which in turn if you don't do them are positives is that probably it just be more specific about your runs i mean I'm not, I'm not saying everybody should get a coach. I think everybody benefits from getting a coach and that everybody's in a position to get one or afford it, but, or, or at least surround yourself with more experienced runners, older runners. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, yeah, don't just, don't just get a, 
training plan out of runner's world. Right. They're just, you know, a cookie cutter program that, that might not work for your schedule. And I think the benefit of having a, of having a coach or somebody that you can at least lean on for advice is like, they can tailor something to what might fit your lifestyle and like, all right, here's the important stuff. Mm-hmm. If you can fit the rest of the stuff in, that's great, but that's just gravy. But here's A, B, and C that you need to do on a weekly basis. Oh, that's Anything good. else is just a bonus. Yeah, make sure that it's a little bit more specific to them. So let's talk about the Music City Distance Carnival. That's your race. You've got the shirt on right now. It has been going on since 2003. First of all, what what you know? What is the Music City Distance Carnival? <laughs> I know what it is. I've, <laughs> I've, right, I've so been there and, and seen you in uh, on the microphone running all over the track, yelling at people. What is it for someone who's who's never been to it? So in 2003, so I, I, I mentioned briefly the, the, the couple I, I lived with in, in Westmead when I was a, a freshman at Belmont, and uh, that couple was Kibby Clayton and Dave Sanders, and at the time, they ran Nashville Striders. Gotcha. When it was like a, a much bigger, more active club than it is now. Um, and Kibby died, of a, she had a brain tumor, and she died in her mid-50s. And the Striders weren't doing anything. Um, I, you know, I figured they would put on a race or something in her honor. She was, had been an executive director. And they didn't do anything, and it kind of perturbed me. But I didn't really have any money, or at that time, didn't really know how to put on a road race. So I was like, well, I could put on a track meet. That's a bit easier. So I, that following summer, I put on, it was basically just, I think, three or four heats of a 5K. On for, a track. On a track, Harpeth Hall High School. Basically for my friends and their friends. And we had some faster runners. We had you know, a couple of Kenyans showed up, and I offered a little bit of prize money. I actually ran in the B heat myself while I was directing the meet. That's how low key it was back then. Yeah, and we had maybe a hundred runners, and uh, people loved it. It was cool. We had you know everybody cheering each other on, and I think somebody ran like a fourteen ten five k, and the first woman ran like seventeen flat. And we had some good runners, um, but it was just really low key and fun under the lights at Harpeth Hall. And it was like, all right, we should do that again next year. Yeah. So the next year, I added a mile. Um, we moved it to Vanderbilt. And then 2005, so at that time it wasn't even called Music City Distance Carnival. I had a website at the time called NashvilleRunner.com. Right. And it was called the NashvilleRunner.com Twilight Track Meet. There In you fact, go. And we got t-shirts done. In fact, a friend of mine, David Hudson, still has that t-shirt from that first year yeah. that he wears to MCDC every year from 2000. So MCDC became, uh, came into effect when? 2005. Gotcha. Um, Which is a was, great name, by the way. MCDC is awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, the idea was just like, you know, like a track meet is almost like organized chaos, right? It's a little bit like a three-ring circus, and that's kind of the, the where the name came from. And, um, you know, with me being the ringmaster, I guess. And that was the first year that I actually made an effort to recruit a few pro runners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Anthony Famoletti, who had been a two-time Olympian, um, maybe as a... He might have been a two-time Olympian already by that time, but he was a steeplechaser at, at UT, and he came and he ran Nashville's first legitimate sub-four-minute mile at the meet. Oh wow! Uh, Andrew Bumbleo was in that race, local, you know, um, high school phenom too, and um, and he ran what was up until recently the state record for high schoolers too. Um, so that was really the first big year. That was the first year I had prize money. First year we invited some pros and first year people really traveled in from outside right. of the South. So has it always been high school, collegiate, and then, um, you know, a, what I guess you would label pro runners or people who are coming in as, uh, just wanting to run in the open mile, open division. Yeah. The, the, the idea, like when 2005 was really the first year, it was in its pretty much the current format where it was a high school meet, 
a pro me and an old chemist me all rolled into one. And that gotcha. was always my vision. Which is super cool. I, yeah. I mean, that's my favorite part about I mean, it. Is I've, it I mean, sort I've of had like, friends, as you know, that ran in college and in their 40s that have come back to run the distance carnival because that's one of the few meets kind of around the country that you can do that where it's a little bit of everybody there. Yeah, so I think I wanted to make something that was fun to watch because I felt like most track meets were pretty boring. And then where you could line up on the same starting line as a professional runner. Right. So something that you kind kind of do in a road race, but not really because you're five minutes behind them mm-hmm. and then you don't get to watch those runners race. So what I want to do is like, all right, you have the same experience, but you get to watch the pro runners afterwards. Right. And sometimes uh, it's within 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And obviously that's a lot easier to execute in a track meet than it would be on a road race. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, yeah, the meet has just grown incrementally each year. I've just added little components. I was like, oh, I should do that next year and just made a mental note and added right. it in and, Hey, we are. It's it's eighteen years old. This it's year. cool, man. I've I've been to it more years than I haven't in in the past. You know, twelve years since I've been involved in the Nashville running community. Star Spangled Banner happens now. Our one of our earlier guests, Megan Connor, does that. I saw Nick Simmons run sub four minute right over my left shoulder at the Vanderbilt track a couple of years ago. But you in particular, you. What what I always notice about you and like a little bit amazed about is you could literally be like running around the track trying to get to a certain spot to either start the next race or be a paying attention. And like you've got these times in your head. You're like, if he keeps up this pace, it's going to break this state mile. Or if you keep up this pace, it's going to be an, you know, outdoor national record. And I mean, like it's it's there and it's almost like you're pulling it out of a file cabinet as it's happening. Uh, it's cool. It's it's cool to see like, you know, you being kind of the MC race director at the same time. I'm sure your brain hurts after that. Oh, it's those pretty races. exhausting, but it's weird. It's like that, that, you know, I'm usually, I'm usually pretty introverted unless I've got quite a lot of beer in me. Right. But when that meet happens, I sort of transform. It's For sure. like, it's like I own that track that weekend. It's, mm-hmm. This is my baby. Uh, and like, you know, I'm controlling it all. And like, I feel like a sort of, it is like a three ring circus. So you are yeah. like kind of the, the. I feel like a cross between a, a sort of orchestra conductor and Freddie Mercury. <laughs> it's like, you know. <laughs> That's a good combo. You know, though, I'm, yeah. I'm being sort of flamboyant and wearing a ridiculous black and gold glittery jacket. And I kind of, you know, I do like being the center of attention that weekend because it's like, it's it's my baby and I've, and I'm proud well, of built it. built it up for I've, sure. And I've yeah. brought it all together and it's kind of, despite it being, you know, a bit chaotic behind the scenes it, it seems like it's all coming together right um but yeah you're right with the stats honestly i've i mean i can i can't balance a checkbook but i can tell you what you know most of the guys that run my meet it's prs and when what year they ran it so i, I think some of it's like i've been looking at those start lists evolve for the three or four months before the meet mm-hmm. so i've just looked at it so often it sort of becomes hardwired right um but that sort of memory for stats has has evolved into another job which we can talk about which i've been you know been, been doing some work as a statistician so you're right those do no, those, those numbers come easily to me and i can do most of the meat without my notes that's cool man so you know the, the music city distance carnival that would you say that's one of your you know proudest accomplishments of of what you've done in the in the sport of running since since a uh, a young nine-year-old in Leeds. It's i mean that's super cool probably the proudest accomplishment of my life i mean i've right. managed to like screw up most things in my life. Yeah. Um, but that's one thing, you know, there's been hiccups along the way and you know, obviously this year putting the meet together, you know, in a pandemic has had a whole different new layer of challenges. 
Um, yeah, what what's that been? I mean, yeah, like I mean, the, it, it's still it's coming up. It's August fifteenth. It's yeah. it's not far away. As of as of right now, it's it's gonna happen here in Nashville. But what what's some interesting things that you've had to do or you're gonna have to have in place because of what the current state of the uh, well, first of all, country is has been pushed back twice. Gotcha. So it's happening August fifteenth. Yeah, it's typically June, right? First weekend. It's typically, in June. Uh, last yeah. weekend in May or first weekend in June. So I got pushed back, um, and then it got pushed back again, and now we finally finally settled on a date where I felt like I could pull it off safely. So it's going to be Saturday, August 15th. I'm not disclosing the location because it's not open to spectators, but people who need to know will know where it is. But it is going to be in Nashville, and it will be streamed live on YouTube. Oh, cool. So you can go to runmcdc.org, and then there'll be a link there. Um, but, yeah, some of the, the a lot of safety precautions in place. So every single athlete will have to have two negative COVID tests the week of the meet. In order to run. Yep. Yep. Which is going to be a challenge for a lot of people. And I'm going to lose a lot of athletes because of that. But that's what have I need to do, to, do to provide a safe environment. Right. There'll be separate entrances for athletes and um, everybody else coming in, like parents, agents, coaches, whatever. Um, it'll be spectator free, except for people that have to be there, like parents of high school kids that are running, et cetera. Right. And then, you know, none of the agents or coaches will be allowed in the warm up area. Um, or the cloaking area. All all the meat crew will have to have COVID tests. So it's gonna be nobody will be allowed on the track or the infield. So a much more sterile environment than right. people are accustomed to. It's cool that it's still happening though. I'm sure a lot of people that are running in it are are gonna be happy to compete. You know, no yeah, matter I mean, what the scenario is. I'll get some backlash from a minority, I'm sure. And then mm-hmm. a couple of people have been vocal, be like, "Hey, you shouldn't be putting this on." But you know, and I've had my doubts. I mean, I've. It sort of pervaded my dreams, and I've lost a lot of sleep over it and grown a few more gray hairs. Um, but I've chatted to like a lot of athletes, even athletes that aren't running the meet that don't that I feel like are neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spoken to some people that are nurses and doctors um, that are you know in the running in the running world, and they've been supportive. So I thought you know you're doing this in as safe a manner as you can possibly execute it, and right. it's probably safer than it is going to Kroger. Yeah, and it's spread out over eight or nine hours. It's you know, yeah, it's very it's not spread like out, much more spread out than it would be typically. And like, there'll only be one one heat of runners on the track at any given time. So, so like, it's not like running there won't be anybody a road warming race up on the track, right? Yeah. While the while the next race, while the previous race is going on. Gotcha. So it'll be yeah, it'll be a little bit weird. Yeah. Well, it's cool that you're going to keep it going, man. And I'm I'm excited to just watch the the race continue to evolve. And you've done a, like you said already, a good job of getting some some big runners to to come to Nashville and run in that race. And and just the the name of Music City Distance Carnival, you know, continues to grow. So I hope it's here for many years to come. As somebody who just likes to go watch it, I think it's I think it's a fun thing. And yeah. so just staying along those lines, being being a race director. How do you feel? This is kind of diving uh, into the deep waters of running. How do you feel about drug testing within the United States and then kind of around the world? And are things being done correctly or is there room for improvement as far as just the, the testing of running? I think overall you saw it as a good job with the budget they have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think they're chronically underfunded. And then, you know, outside the U.S., you know, obviously there's a chronic problem in East Africa with, with doping. Kenya is at least making an attempt to tackle it. Yeah. Ethiopia has no anti-doping program whatsoever. And I think that these guys are getting off scot-free. And to, and as big as a running nerd as, as I am, I just don't even watch major marathons anymore. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, all right, that guy ran a 205 marathon, probably 50-50 chance he's clean. Right. 
I feel like, which is no, that's no good. Yeah. And I, you know, I think track and the track athletes tend to get tested more, more than, um, more than marathoners. Mm -hmm. Um, you get these marathoners that just come out of the woodwork, um, from East Africa and then they disappear again for a while. Whereas the track runners are, you know, going to race to race to race. Mm -hmm. So they tend to get tested more frequently. So I'd like to think that track is cleaner. Right. But room for improvement, though, especially Matt, when you start yeah, breaking outside. I get more excited about the level of runners that come to Miami rather than somebody, you know, threatening a world record and you're just left wondering. Yeah, no, they clean. that makes sense. So want to talk about Nashville some. You said you've been here. You've been here for a hot minute. You came to Belmont and then you and then you left and then you came back. But you've been what you've been in Nashville now for what twenty years? When when were you back here permanently? Uh, since two thousand two, so like eighteen Almost. years, so twenty one and a half years. I and think you were totally. you worked at Athletes House, first running store in think, Tennessee, right? Yep. Yeah. I worked. At, I actually worked at Fleet Feet as well. Yeah. Back before Christy Beth owned it. Um. Um. And I worked at Nashville Running Company. So it's only Team Nashville I haven't worked at. Well, there you go. You got, you <laughs> got one more. I think working at Athlete's House is a sort of rite, a rite of passage for a lot of lo- local runners and, right. and Fleet Feet too. Right. Um, cool Cool to be working at the running stores though because you feel like you're you're a part of it yeah. and, and around it. That was, I, I, I talked to Christy Beth about it when we were on the podcast together. I felt like I was I was nervous when I started working there because I thought I was going to be fitting people like like yourself and, and Bob Kennedy's all day long. And <laughs> of course that, you know, realized that wasn't the case, but it's, it's just a neat industry and, and working in a running stores where you get kind of the most daily taste of it to be around people who want to improve their lives and want to get involved in something that they feel is going to be not only something good for them, but, you know, kind of make them, you know, enjoy life more. It, I, I've seen that I in, feel in like runners. working on a running store is a bit like being a bartender, at like a local pub. It could be right? for so sure. Yeah. Where you, your friends come in and you serve them and that's, well, uh, well that's, that's a, completely accurate for my fleet feet career for right. sure because I, I talked running a lot more than i did any of it uh, uh positive myself but yeah it, it was godly i loved working at fleet feet it's just such a fun fun window in my life yeah that, then you you've you got to work at uh more than what was jill owner of the fleet feet when you started there yeah i was only yeah. there for a couple of months I, um i know jill she's a sweet right, lady right before i started uh, grad school at Belmont. Right. So tell me about Nashville. What what it, What is it about this city that's kind of kept you here a long time? Do you feel like there's anything about you that you would label, um, you know, Nashville is, is a part of you? I'm so not Nashville. Um, <laughs> like I, still not there. I still don't like country music. I like I like Johnny Cash, like Patsy Cline. Not that Nashville's all about country music, but I've never really embraced that. Um I mean, honestly, I don't feel like I fit here sometimes, but I think Nashville's become like this sort of old comfy leather chair that I've just, it's just like shaped to the, molded to the shape of my butt and I feel comfortable here now. Right. Um, and it's a nice place to just observe the world. So it's, I don't know. I, I like how friendly people are here um, and open. And I think things have we've got better as as the city's got more diverse with people from from other other big cities have, have moved here. Right. Um. I don't know. Just the, the pace of life here, I just like. There's enough for it to be exciting, but without the stress of living in a big city. Like I lived in London for four years, and it's just exhausting. Oh right, London's one of the biggest cities in the world, and the, but, yeah, it's, but it's it's crowded and it's right. polluted and too much. Yeah, it's tiring. Right. How do you still have family overseas in England? And my brother and my dad uh, both live uh, just west of London. Right. And how often do you get to go back there? Well, I was planning to go back in September, but. Um, 
don't know if I can now, thanks right. to thanks to everybody being silly with this pandemic. Um, so we'll see. But I was back um, two years ago was the last time I was back. Right. So you've been gone long enough. You've probably lived, you know, half your life overseas, half your life here. What What do you feel is still English about you? You still got your English accent, of course, <laughs> which is which is great. What's What's still, you know, your you feel like your roots are are still there in England? Um. Well, I still have not really embraced. American traditional American sports still like, about still nah, about, I'm still football. All about football or uh, soccer as you guys call it here right. despite the fact it's played with your feet <laughs> um, no so doubt. yeah still every, any any given Saturday I'm watching if I if if it's I'm watching Leeds United which is my team that just got promoted to the Premier League for the first time in oh, right. 18 years so that was a big deal a big victory last week like you and with that you have to you have to win your way and to compete in the Premier League right you have to be right. good enough to get in there yeah, and so then like, if you if you suck you get relegated which right. is a huge it, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars lost or gained gotcha. by going up and down and this is the first time ever your team in the Premier League no no, no we won it back we won it back in the 90s oh but, but they're like, now back in it for we it, got right? relegated in 04 and then we've we're being in the lower tiers until now. Gotcha. Uh, last year we were, we almost got promoted and epically blew it the last couple of games. Um, so yeah, I've never really embraced American sports. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I honestly feel like I would probably be better off somewhere like Seattle or Colorado. I'd probably be a better fit there. Yeah. But I just Seattle's like a cool city. Yeah. And I lived there for a couple of years, but I just like Nashville. It's, the pace of life is is easy. It's it's affordable. The weather's great most of the year. Yeah, it's friendly, and you know the running the running community here is great. It's pretty good, no doubt. I agree. Good stuff. What what about uh, if you were mayor of Nashville? You've been here long enough that you can make some alterations to this city. What would you do as mayor of Nashville? Um, selfishly, as a runner, I would like to see more, more soft surfaces on the greenways, more right. like crushed gravel. I don't know why everything is just paved with asphalt. Right. Maybe it's cheaper to maintain, but it's not good for our knees. And to your point, the places you just mentioned, uh, you know, the more, the further west you go, the more there are great running paths like yeah. that, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't expect us to ever get like Colorado Springs, but but it would be nice to have some crushed gravel, you know, trails around town, some greenways like that. Um, what else would I like to see? I would love to see eventually uh, – a city-owned indoor track complex like they have in Birmingham, the Crossplex there, which is this amazing facility. You can use it for concerts. That the track can be, you know, it's on hydraulics. It can be lowered, so they can use it. The they have that in Birmingham, for, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. It's a swimming. It's a swimming place and a track place in the same, but they use it for concerts and conventions and all kinds of other stuff. I'd love to see something like that, and I think there's enough demand for that. Um, and then, if I was mayor, I would have some tax incentives for people to get in shape oh man brilliant yeah um you know like tax break for if you give up smoking or if you lose a certain amount of weight or if your bmi drops a certain amount you know have you know because those people are gonna it benefits the economy eventually anyway in terms of put some incentive behind it in terms of strain on the healthcare system um and i don't know maybe maybe get be be tough and get tough on obesity maybe you have a penalty for being Remaining obese. There you I go. Yeah. So let's talk about music a little bit. We, we I know you well enough. We've we've talked about this topic before. Um, are you a music fan? Yeah, for sure. I'm not a regular concert goer. I mean, it's a little tricky when you have a child, but right. Um, but you like music. Well, what, on Nashville's Music City, what are some of what's the best? Are some of the best concerts you've seen in your days in Nashville? 
Uh, I've seen two epic concerts at Ryman. Um, I saw James Brown when I was in college. Wow. In 97. Um, That's amazing. He, and I, I don't know how old he was back then, probably in his late 60s or early 70s. He was on a stage for about three hours. He had to take a lot of little breaks. Mm-hmm. It was like an interval workout for him. Yeah. And costume changes. But that was a great show. Um, and just almost like a 50-50 crowd of, of, of black folks and white folks. Just like, I mean, I remember I was dancing at the front. It was yeah. great. It was amazing. And then about five years later, I saw Coldplay at the Ryman. Oh, yeah. Right after they released their second album, I think. Right. I was at, I saw that show, Rush of Blood to the Head. Yeah. And it had the, the they had the screens, like the, the rectangular long thin screens I vividly remember them. Chris Martin just hammering the crap out of the piano to politic. Right out of the jump. As the as the uh, as the sun came through the stained glass window, so I was oh, like, wow. oh, "This is like a religious experience." Yeah, at the at the at the church of right. uh, the church of music. That yeah. was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. And then more recently, I went to see Queen Queen and Adam Lambert last year at Bridgestone. Oh yeah, um, that was pretty cool because you know, how does how does he do as like? I mean, obviously Freddie Mercury is one of the greatest. He's fantastic. He doesn't try to be Freddie. Okay, he's so a good. bit like yeah. him anyway. Yeah, and he was just himself, and he put his own spin on on some of the songs and actually was more flamboyant than Freddie Freddie Mercury was if you right. can imagine that um but that was pretty cool because I took we took, took my son who yeah. had seen the Queen movie the previous year was familiar with all Great the songs movie. yeah re- knew the story backstory and he was just like blown away so it was pretty cool experiencing that with him god those are three good ones Dave holy cow James Brown Coldplay and Queen that's <laughs> I mean that's that's pretty, I don't go. Yeah. I go quality uh, over quantity for sure. No, that's that's it. All right, man. Let's move into f- uh, running the six one five speed sessions. I know you, you've heard a couple podcasts of this show, so you know what these are. Uh, I start this off. I start these off by asking the question: What is the fastest mile you've ever run in your life? Uh, four nineteen, but it was on a road and it was gently downhill. Still four nineteen. I think. Is- 423 maybe on the, on the track okay so super fast well i'm going to give you longer than than four minutes and 19 seconds to okay. answer these questions but would you rather run on the roads a track or trails trails if they're flat otherwise track gotcha are you an early bird or a night owl more of a night owl all right favorite nashville restaurant calypso cafe Ooh, yeah coffee tea soda water or alcohol what time of day is it? Uh, you can pick two. Morning, what are you drinking? Coffee. Evening, what are you drinking? Beer. What's, what's, what's your favorite beer? Hefeweizen uh, is usually. Yeah. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Breakfast. Dogs or cats? Oh, does anybody really like cats? I haven't had an answer of cats yet. Right, well, let's keep it going. Dogs. <laughs> Dogs for the win. Uh, are you a talker or a listener? I'd like to think both. Yeah? I do like the sound of my own voice. Well, like I said, man, at, at, <laughs> at the MCDC, when you're on the on the microphone, barking out times and, and encouraging people, I love it. And you got a great accent, so you be a talker all you want. Uh, beach or mountains? Mountains. What annoys you? Um, oh, this is maybe it's just because fresh in my mind. I just got back from a road trip in Indiana. People that drive in the left lane slowly. Oh God, I'm so. I, with you I there. think those same people walk in the. Lane one of, of a track as well. They do. 
Oh, that's a great one, man. I mean, it's, you know, there's actually some states have signs that say left lane. Oh, yeah. Is All the way through Indiana it did, but like yeah. apparently nobody, he did. They don't, a lot of people don't ever really learn that, but that's a great one. Okay. How about this? What is something that is not good for you, but you do it anyway? Um, wow. Something, you know, that's not great for you, but you do it anyway. I don't get enough sleep and I drink too much coffee. Okay. We'll flip that. What, what is something that is good for you that you wish you did more of? Stretch, foam roll, core workouts, all the stuff I tell my coaching clients to do, right. but very rarely do myself. So there you go. Well, brief pause on, on speed sessions. I'm not the greatest at foam rolling or stretching. And Chris Duncan, who you know, if he said, you know, if he could go back and do anything earlier on, he would have done a lot of core work. You, you believe in that big time as a runner? Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Foam roll, stretch, core workout is going to help you as a runner. Especially as you get older. There you go. Crap. It's not good for me, but that's I'm, a good I feel answer. like I'm playing catch up with all that stuff now. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Would you rather have cookie or candy? Um, honestly, your cookies, I guess. Candy over here sucks. I'd, I'd, I'd no buy good. European chocolate. There you go. I'm such a snob. You already said your favorite sports team. Again, who is it? Leeds United. There you are. If you had to pick one sports team in the United States, who would you who would you cheer for? You know, I probably will embrace Nashville Soccer Club once it gets going. Gotcha. Um, that's a good one. Yeah, that's, I yeah, think I'll probably yeah, go with that. That's that's hopefully going to continue to grow. Favorite? Uh, what is a dream vacation spot? Ooh, <clears throat> that's a tough one. Um, that I've been to, or like I'd, I'd like to go to. Like to go to. Probably Australia. Oh yeah. Or New Zealand. That's cool. It's a ways. It's a ways yeah. to get there, but that'd be a great one. Uh, what actor should play you in a movie? Oh gosh, I wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> um, a young Sean Connery, maybe? No, maybe. It's gotta be somebody like you know, not too good looking with a big nose. Ray Fiennes, maybe? Oh, good actor. I he's, don't know. He's good. Yeah, Ray yeah. Fiennes. Well, that's a good one. He's a good actor. Um, do you have a favorite TV show or movie of all time? Movie, probably Snatch. Oh, great movie. Yeah. Um, TV show, maybe it's because like, my son enjoys it as much as I do, but, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the name now. The one with all the scientists, uh, the, oh my gosh. Sheldon? Yeah, the one with Sheldon. What's the name of the show, though? Not Young. Young Sheldon's good, but the one where he's a, an adult. Oh, my gosh. You just made me blank on it. Um, I'll think Big of it. Bang Theory. Yes. There we go. Uh, we, were, we were thinking it together. We can get there. I love... Is, ben are and there, I watch back-to-back episodes of that pretty frequently. Your son loves it. There, are there a lot of pikeys in overseas in England? Is that, <laughs> Do I you mean, know what the, a pike is? I, I mean, I know it because of Brad Pitt in the movie Snatch. My dad actually had, my dad lives in this really posh village just out, outside of London, like this is just full of millionaires. Right. And like two miles down the road, there's like a, a campsite with some pikeys. Which are basically gypsies that yeah. are just travelers. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So Snatch was dialed in on that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what is the best way to recover after a long or difficult run? Um with a good breakfast and a nap. There you go. You just heard it here. I've loved taking naps after a long run. A long time running coach just approved it. Basically. Is there anything you're afraid of Dave? 
I'm terrified of snakes. You and me both. Yes. Like just ridiculously like can't even get close to one. Well, I'm not that. I just, I don't want to run up on a rattlesnake in Percy Warner. That's, that's my fear. Like I've, I've seen snakes out of Percy Warner all the time. If they're five feet that's from me, I'm my, fine. My biggest worry is I've never seen one. Yeah. So like how close have I come to stepping on one before? No doubt. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, when you're running music or no music. Uh, I probably run with music once a week. Okay. When my motivation level is low. Watch or no watch? Always wear a watch. Always watch. What is the f- your favorite running path you've ever run on in your life? Favorite path? Yeah. Like favorite just like place you've run? Uh, Garden of the Gods in just outside Colorado Springs. Oh, yeah. It's like running on a different planet. It's like what? Like trails, right? Uh, a mixture of trails and roads, but just the rock formations. It's like running on Mars. Wow. That's cool. Um, airplane or road trip, what would you rather take? Road trip. Something you would like to do before you die? Write a book. Write a book, all right. What makes you happy? Mm. Running, watching my son grow up. Um, Talking on the mic at MCDC. Uh-huh. Uh Helping, watching and helping runners get better or yeah. enjoy or enjoy the sport more. Great one, yeah. What has running taught you specifically? Persistence, patience. That's a good one with and running. probably humility. Oh, yeah. You don't, you don't actually, you don't hear patience a lot with running being talked about, although it's obviously a component. You mean patience and like some people who start the sport or want to get better at it just don't. Allow, like, allow them enough time to Im- yeah if you want to be a good runner you have to get wrap your head around the idea of delayed gratification perfectly well said delayed gratification um, is there any misconception about you um wow I don't know you said you said you're an introvert I wouldn't leave you an introvert I mean I've, we've been friends a long time so yeah, every time I, I see I, we kind of chat it up between hating everybody and being really outgoing <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm very binary like that's that that's good I'm glad we had this interview um, from here on out when I see you I'm gonna ask also, I'm like where are we right now are you in hate phase or are you yeah. in love people phase like, there's right. probably a bunch of people around town that think I'm gay so I'm like <laughs> probably half half a chromosome away <laughs> half a chromosome or, or like three tequilas away oh my awesome um, what is something in life that people get wrong? In other words, something that, you know, you, people think they've got a grasp on and you're like, no, actually, I don't think that's the case. Um, can you redefine it? I don't know. i sure I understand the question. So, you know, there's some things that like people might feel like really like, you know, like they've got a, a grasp on something, whether it's something they believe in or whether it's something they talk about. And you're like, yeah, actually, no, I don't think that's the case. I think lately this has come to the fore with, with people just sort of thinking they understand scientific principles mm-hmm. and just cherry picking articles. And for that reason, I've come to sort of detest Facebook. Right. And I'm probably going to wean myself off of it sometimes. But yeah, maybe just a, a, people are reading, just skimming an article, you know, and not like digging deeper into a subject and then getting on their soapbox and, you know, thinking they know something that they really don't. Yeah. That, that's kind of grinds my gears, but there's a lot of that lately. Yeah. Social media will, 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 will certainly, um, show a lot of that. What's your favorite holiday? Ooh, good one. Um, my birthday. Yeah. No, uh, seriously though. <laughs> uh, 
I guess Christmas still. Yeah, Christmas is great. I mean, it's it it. Christmas is sort of like really exciting when you're a kid, and it becomes lame again. And when you have a kid, it gets really exciting oh, again. Yeah, great. No one said that before. That's a good answer. Um, who inspires you? Ooh, good one. Um, probably the the people that inspire me the most are like my coaching clients. Yeah. Um, that are pushing that, themselves. That just show up every Tuesday morning, five thirty a.m. at the track, and just yeah, and just push themselves really hard and just well, we, we trust me so much. Yeah. We talked about this. You have coached multiple running the six, one, five guests. You've coached Megan Connor. Mm-hmm. You've coached Margie. I coached Margie quite some time ago. Yeah. Oh, what but, a great when Margie was in her early sixties. Yeah. Right. Um, Steven, currently coach Stephen Levin. Oh Stephen man. Lovewade. He loves to run, right? <laughs> He's a great runner. Yeah. Yeah. He just That's, ran his five K PB last week. Man, super cool. Yeah, he's he's fun to follow on social media. Like he really he he following him on social media actually makes me want to go run sometimes because yeah. he's he's a big he's fan a lot of fun. Of it. He brings a lot of energy to the track on Tuesdays. Oh, so yeah, he inspires me, no doubt. Uh, do you have a favorite book or a favorite quote? Um, I don't really have a favorite book. The last book I read was Scar Tissue by Anthony Kiedis. Oh, that's good. I got that. Yeah, that's, he um, yeah that guy had an interesting life, especially when he was younger. Wow. Um, yeah, he's lucky to be alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite quote. I, I really like, I mean, I, I just sort of mentioned this earlier. I like comparison is the thief of joy. That's kind of, that's a good, something one. that just, I think, you know, applies so much lately. Well, that was back to what you're saying about social Teddy, media. Ted, too. Pretty sure Teddy Roosevelt said that by the mm-hmm. way. Yep. Comparison is a thief of joy. That's a good one. What one piece of advice would you give your younger self? You get to go back and, and talk to Dave Milner after he's recently ran a pair of cigarettes back to your back <laughs> to your dad. What would you say to that guy? Uh, I would have said, run more, drink less, and know that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. There you go. Three good ones. What is your favorite race distance? If you had to pick one distance to run to race, actually, what's your favorite distance? I wish I was better at it, but 800 meters, it's about the length of my attention span. Yeah. That's a hard race, right? That's, that's, that's long. It really hurts, but not for very long. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, you know, I, I, to use this sort of dental analogy, a 5k is like getting like a filling. Mm Mm-hmm. 800 meters is like getting an extract, an extraction. Yeah. Hurts really a lot for only, but only for about 20 seconds. There you go. Would you rather run in the hot or run in the cold? Cold. Would you rather have a hug, a high five, or a fist bump? Oh, a hug. For sure. What, Dave Milner, is the purpose of life? To leave the planet and the people you come into contact with in a better state than you found them. There you go. That sounds right. Not, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's spot on, man. I'm, uh, I'm excited that you get to have the MCDC again. Uh, I hope the listeners remember listening to this podcast in about 10 months when June 2021 rolls around and you get to go see it. Cause it's, 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 it's worth going to watch, man, to it's, see some, it's a party. Great- yeah. So, I mean, this year we'll have a lot of the same people that were at the meet last year. So Emma Coburn's coming back Oh, great. and that, that whole crew, um, I think Edward Cesarek is running the 5K. We've got a lot of big names. A lot of people are pulled out because mm. because they're scared to travel, understandably. But we still have some big names coming. I just haven't been as vocal about it because just been kind of stressed out about actually getting it together For rather sure. than promoting it. 
Well, it's been here for now 18 years, and it's going to be hopefully here for another 18, and, and I'll remind people about it this time next year on the podcast to, to go out there and watch not only some national runners, to watch you in action is, is, is worth going, and then to just watch some really – you know, it's it's like uh, as a golfer growing up, one of the neatest things I ever got to experience was actually going to a professional golf tournament. And and what I remembered the most is when I left seeing that tournament, I just wanted to play golf so bad. Like I was just, like more than ever, I just wanted I wanted to go home and go play golf. And that's what the MCDC does. Like when you watch. Nick Simmons running on the track and you see Emma Coburn last year and they're so good and they look so like they were born to do it. Like it, it, it makes you want to go run get, watching those people I do mean, that. I think everybody should go see some pro sport, whether, you know, whatever sport they're into. Right. You need to go see it live mm. to, to really appreciate like how fit and how fast these people are when you're down at track level, just, you know, like 30, 40 feet away. It's amazing. It's seeing how fast they're going, it's a totally different from watching on TV. Well, at the NCDC too, uh, a couple times, you know, when uh, for like uh, some of the later events, like at night, again, won't be able to do it this year, but some people have actually like come out onto the track as people are coming down the straightaway. Yeah, so last year, we, we had people came out so on the lane cool. four for yeah. the last couple of races, which was cool. Obviously, we can't do that this year. But, you know, but next year, hopefully, we'll be, we'll be back to normal. Right. Thanks for being here, Dave. Thanks for coming to chat with Running the 615 and being a big part of the Nashville running community, man. I mean, you, you do a lot and uh, give a lot of people, again, you give a lot of your time so other people can run, which is a neat thing. And I certainly appreciate you giving, giving me your time to come chat and give something people to listen to on their run coming up in the near future. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, man.